Welcome to Unleash Your Greatness. I'm Adam Platt. Today we're going to be talking about getting out of your comfort zone, high performance, happiness, and becoming great with my guest, Madeline Weiss. We're going to get into that conversation right after I queue up the intro. The question people often ask themselves is, is there more for me out there? Am I capable of more, of doing more, being more, and having greater success in this life? The answer to that question is yes. I believe that everybody has greatness within themselves and that success leaves clues. And if we can take those clues, we can unlock the greatness within ourselves. I'm Adam Platt and welcome to Unleash Your Greatness. Welcome to Unleash Your Greatness. I'm Adam Platt. Today, my guest is someone I'm really excited about, Madeline Weiss is a an amazing person. She's a Harvard-trained, licensed psychotherapist. She's a mindset expert, a board-certified executive, career, life coach, and so many other amazing things. Um, she's also the author of the, her new book called Getting to Great Five-Step Strategy for Work and Life. And so I'm excited to have Madeline on and have her share some of her story, some of her expertise with everybody today. So Madeline, welcome to the show. I appreciate you being here. Thank you, Adam. It is my pleasure. So thank you for having me. Yeah, thank you. I You have like this amazing um, career that you've gone through and you have accomplished so many amazing things. And I know that a lot of that has to do with the fact that you're a high performance coach and you help people be able to perform at a higher level in their life. But how did you get to that point in your life? Cause I'm sure you don't wake up one day and I say this a lot on my interviews that everybody has a story, right? Of how they got to where they are. You don't just wake up one day and say, I think I'm going to teach people how to be a high performer today. I have a few stories. So. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I'm super interested. Yeah, I, I I would love to hear some of that backstory of how you got into the business of helping people, you know, become a higher higher performers as well as all these other things that you're involved in, and uh, it's just amazing. It it just it blows me away when I meet people like you who have so many things that they've accomplished. And so, how did you get into this? How did you? What's your journey like? To this point blows me away too actually <laughs> i started out fresh out of high school well let me back up and we'll jump in the deep end here yeah when i was 15 years old my father died suddenly of a stroke right and i was concerned for my mother and wanted to um, contribute. And I went up and down the streets of our little town, in and out of all the storefronts, begging people to hire me. And I always had this fantasy, well, not always, but later on, I thought, did we, like, was she going in behind me and telling them, <laughs> ignore her? Because no one would hire me. Now, I was 15 and a half years old, and I don't know. I don't know what the law was then for that sort of thing. But I could have stocked shelves or something. In any case, for me, because of that, to work 
like when I say it's a privilege and a pleasure, I'm not kidding because I, I tried so hard first time out of the gate to get a job and no one would hire me. So right out of high school, I kind of by myself because now my father was passed away and my mother, all she could do to take care of herself, I think, um, got myself into a program at Penn. And it was uh, the University of Pennsylvania's Graduate Hospital School of Medical Technology. Wow. So when you say it blows you away and I say it blows me away too, it's because where <laughs> I started is so not related to what I'm doing now. So I started in a um, clinical chemistry laboratory was my first job. And then I was with the USDA Biological Control Lab and Drexel University's um, Cardiac Catheter Research Lab. And I remember my boss giving me an oxygen monitor and saying, figure it out. And I said, the manual's in Danish. How am I figuring this out? He said, I don't really care how you figure it out. Just figure it out. And I don't know how I figured it out, but I figured it out. But there was always this pull to the people. Mm. Hence, I got an LICFW. And after that, I found myself an administrative director and treasurer and eventually part owner of a group mental health practice. And I thought, oh my God, I don't know a thing about what I'm doing. <laughs> so I went to business school. Gotcha. And then I, I practiced a little bit along the way, but I worked for 13 years at Harvard Medical School in the anatomical gift program, which turned out to be really um, sort of near to God nourishing work. Wow. You know, if people wanted to donate their bodies to science, yeah. they would call my office. And in addition to that, I got to lay hands on the first year medical class as they would approach in their anatomy course, which is a first year course. Uh -huh. And they'd approach their cadavers before they went into the lab for the first time. I was asked to address them, and my idea for them was to teach them a little mindfulness mm -hmm. so that they could stay in touch with their humanity and their feelings without becoming overwhelmed by it. And then finally, my whole family, my two children who are married and all together, there are now five grandchildren. We're all in DC and I was in Boston. Uh, so Adam, when you say you don't just wake up one morning, kind of sometimes you do. <laughs> I was wow. having a drink with a friend and she, her whole family was in Tampa. She, she was a judge and wow. she said to me, let's just get out of here. And I said, uh, I'm licensed here or where am I going? But somehow when things are right, everybody, when things are right, things just fall into place. I made a really nice friend at the licensing board 
who grandfathered my test from 100 years ago. And therefore, I did get licensed in D.C. And I came here and hung out a shingle. And I began virtually. So I've been I've been conversing and connecting the way you and I are since 2013. Wow. Even even before the pandemic. One more thing, and then I'll stop talking for a few minutes or a few seconds. <laughs> I was a very classically trained psychotherapist. And I always felt like it wasn't right how long people sat there and received compassion and maybe that was something that he or she had longed for for so long and that was supposed to somehow touch people so deeply that things would change on the outside Mm. life would change but there was this wonderful book that i read by a psychoanalyst named alan wheelis on how people change. And the upshot of that book in summary was they just do, that you have to take action. And I really felt that that was a component that I was ready to integrate into the work that I do. So William James says, said that action doesn't guarantee happiness, but there's no happiness without it. So now, though I, am prone to identify with people something in their story from not right now, but before now gets replayed over and over again. And that came from that classical training. I'm pretty quick at that. And I like that. But if that doesn't manifest somehow that makes a difference for you and everyone around you, then what good is it? Yeah. So that's when I got um, board certified in coaching to bring those, the insight orientation and the action orientation together. So that's awesome. And, you know, I, I guess I've never heard it put quite that way before that happiness doesn't bring or action. Yeah. Happiness doesn't bring action, but you can't have happiness without action. Right. Right. And when you, when you start to think about that, like that's really so true. Like you're never going to achieve without taking action. You can't sit on the couch and do nothing and be happy. And you, you just won't like you, you'll get bored. And actually it it reminds me of a book I read by Timothy Ferris. It's called the four hour work week. I don't know if you've read it, but um, in that book, he, he asked a question he says, um, what is the opposite of happiness? And he says, most people will automatically say unhappiness. And he's like, it's not true. Unhappiness. Yeah. The opposite of happiness is boredom. Yeah. And it's, it's similar to what you just said. Like if you're bored and you're just sitting there waiting for something to happen, you're not going to be happy at all. You've got to take some action and create you know, results in your life to become happy. 
Do you know what rats do when they take their little toys away from them and just coop them up with nothing to do? No. I'm sorry, everybody, but I am going to say this. They eat each other. Yeah. The boredom is so deadly. Wow. Yeah. So we yeah, also sure. need to be stimulated. But there's this really, it's kind of a combination of factors. There's a really strong thrust in the human organism to keep things the same because the learning that has to go into from the frontal cortex into making change is so much more energy expensive than being on automatic pilot operating in habit. So we're designed to conserve energy. Yeah. So at the same time, if we do too good a job at chilling on the sofa and conserving energy, we're going to get really bored. If we bite off too much, too fast, the organism is going to fight back yeah. and shut you down. Overwhelm. Right. So fascinating. Did you ever hear the Goldilocks principle? I don't think so. Not you're going to like this. Yeah, let's hear it. Yeah. So the Goldilocks principle is kind of what you might imagine. It's not too hot, not too cold. You know, the porridge, remember right, the right. porridge? Not too hot, not too cold, but just right. So when we seek to change, it's not so much that it overwhelms us and shuts us down, but it's enough to put a little juice in there and get a little excitement going. There's this wonderful new study that I'm very excited about out of Yale, which really felt like news to me. So I'm telling everybody who will live. <laughs> so the idea was that if you're in your comfort zone, like everything's cool, yeah, everything's okay, your learning centers in your brain turn off because the brain says, okay, there's nothing to do here. Everything's fine. We're not going to waste any energy. Again, it's those energy conservation things. So we're not going to waste any energy. So there's no learning. And if there's no learning, there's no problem solving. So I'm um, putting together a book-based course. And one of the prerequisites, the number one, to be able to make this five-step strategy work is to look at ourselves because humans are designed to blame everything on everyone else and that doesn't get us very far right. but the second one is to embrace discomfort because the yale study said that optimal learning this is astounding optimal learning um, requires that you be in your discomfort zone 70% of the time. Who knew? Wow. And, and I didn't, you know, you know how many people will say to you, I'll know it's right when I feel comfortable with it. It's like, no, no, <laughs> not anymore. Not anymore. 
Yeah. No, you're right. And this, this is so fascinating to me and God, my mind is just, it's going a million miles an hour because of all these things that you've been bringing up so far. And, uh, what, what a fascinating topic. First off, I I just, I absolutely love that you brought all this up. Um, because you do, we hear all, all the time, right? Get out of your comfort zone. That's where growth happens. That's where, and it's true. I, I firmly believe that just like you were saying, uh, 70%, like that's, that's awesome. Like that's quantitative, uh, data, right. That we can use and say, you've got to be out of your comfort zone 70% of the time to grow. Right. Well, you're making a really good point, Adam, because everybody was saying it, Yep. but now there's science. Yeah. There's data. That's awesome. Yeah. yeah. That's very cool. And and yeah. it's they're they're starting to quantify that if you really yeah. want to achieve, if you want to grow, then you really do need to get out of your comfort zone. And I, I firmly believe that, right? Like I mean, I jumped out of an airplane for the first time this last you October. Did? Yeah. And and it was fantastic. It was crazy. And you know, oh I'm God. I'm a coach and so I'm like, I I can do this, I can do this. This is this is gonna be awesome. And then I got up there and I was scared to death. I'll be totally honest. Like I started looking down and everything started getting further away. And I'm like, oh my gosh, we've got to be almost there where we're going to jump out. And the guy goes, oh, we're, we're halfway. And I'm like, what? We're only halfway up to our altitude. We're going to jump out. Anyways, it was crazy. But um, I think that I would have worried about you more if you told me you weren't scared. I would have thought that you had a screw loose. It's one of those things like you hope that especially being a coach where you're like, you're telling people all the time, like put yourself out there, be a, you know, get out of your comfort zone and stuff like that. And you want to practice what you preach. But at the same time, it's like you get up to that door and you're going to jump out of a plane and you look down and you're like, what did I get myself into? (laughs) It was crazy, but it's so it, it, once you jump and you take that leap out of your comfort zone, it becomes this feeling of pure bliss. Like you're flying, like yeah. obviously you're falling, but it's like you're flying and it's, it's amazing. And it's just this, it's a feeling you can't ever feel anywhere else. And I think it's that way with any experience in life when mm-hmm. you put yourself out there, right? Like, and, and I love the fact that you're like, Oh, I'll, I'll just, I'll know it's right when I'm comfortable with it. You're so spot on when you're like, no, when you feel that ting of resistance, that's when you push and that's when you go for it because yeah. that's, that's where the amazingness happens. Right. So yeah. Well, they so say cool. if you're not uncomfortable, you're not doing anything. Right. Well, but yeah. And there's science. Yeah. Too. Now exactly. that was just before that, it was just what everybody kind of knew intuitively, I think. And it, it always reminds me of, um, and I, I always forget the gentleman's name, but the gentleman who broke the sound barrier, the first person to break the sound barrier in an airplane, um, Chuck, uh, it's somebody, I can't remember his last name right now. Um, but I, the, yeah, he, he was a, a experimental pilot for the, the air force and, um, he flew the very first plane that's broke the sound barrier and he's up there and, you know, he's pushing up to where he's, just about to break the sound barrier and his plane starts shaking like crazy and it's rattling and he radios down. He's like, what do I do? What do you, and they're like, we don't know. We don't know what's going to happen. Nobody's ever done this before. And he's like, well, I'm just going to go for it. And he pushes the throttle forward and he 
And of course, the people on the ground just hear a sonic boom, right? And they're like, is he dead? Did he blow up? Like, what happened? Mm-hmm. And But in Chuck's cockpit, it's pure silence. Like, everything went still as soon as he broke that barrier. And I feel that pushing out of that comfort zone is just like that experience where you're going to feel that resistance. It's shaking. Everything's going crazy. And then you yes. push and you go for it. And then everything... Oh. Just what a nice metaphor. Quiet. Thank you. Yeah. I, I just, I love that story because I do too. it's just a, it's a perfect example. Sharing. Yeah. So I, I have some other questions for you and uh, I know they're going to seem kind of weird and uh, maybe not, but there's, there's kind of this, I doubt it. <laughs> there's this kind of like, um, I guess in my brain, there's this weird um, anomaly, if you will, of, um, you always hear like people talk about setting up habits and, um, you know, doing things so that you don't have to waste energy. You know, you, you, and I do a lot of study of like very successful people, Steve jobs who wore the same thing every day so that he didn't have to think about what he was going to wear. Right. I do that. (laughs) Yeah. But at the same time, it's like, I dress like Steve Jobs. (laughs) I do. That's awesome. And then yeah. a lot of people do, right? Um, Mark reason. Zuckerberger does the same thing, right? Yep. Um, there's lots of very successful people that they, they've set up things in their life so that they don't have to expend, expend the energy every morning of what do I got to do? What am I going to wear? What, you know, whatever. They just, they get up, they know, and then they, they can use their energy for other things. Creativity. Right. And that's to build, different. Build new things. That's different than just sitting on the couch and being like, I'm just going to sit here and do nothing, right? Because they are, like you said, they're they're being creative. They're using their energy in a different way than most people do who, you know, the people who get up and like, oh, what am I going to put on today? What am I going to wear? What's my day look like? What's my calendar? What's my to-do list? You know, these guys were very disciplined and they were able to use their energy in a creative way. And so... I guess there's this distinguishing factor we've got to, you know, put out there that there's a difference between being bored and being setting yourself up for success by not using energy that doesn't matter on things that don't matter, right? Like that's the whole premise of the Steve Jobs and those guys. That book, um, the subtle art of not giving a yeah, F. <laughs> yep. and I think correct me if I'm wrong about this, but I think and it's been a while that the takeaway there was to expend your energy on the things that mattered yeah. and not give enough about everything else yep you're right yeah it just exactly right. popped into my head as you were saying that yeah such such a a good um a thing to keep in mind i guess as as people start to understand like okay what does it take to be successful or to become a higher performer um, a high achiever whatever it is you want to call it um, what does it take and um, you know like I say I, I, I love studying people who have done amazing things who have become successful in, in one way or another and um, so many of them are have success leaves clues right that's that's the f- fact the matter um you look at the thomas edisons and the steve jobs and the bill gates and the 
you know, people who throughout history would say are very successful. They've done certain things. Is it always the exact same? Not exactly, but they, well, they have certain traits that or habits they've set up to make themselves be more successful in life. So maybe you can I expand think, on that. Yeah, sure. <laughs> I think that you and I have been circling around something that mm. I'll, I'll bring right out front then therefore and this applies um very much so to lawyers let's say so i have a slide in one of the presentations that i have prepared and presented to lawyers that talks about billable energy people think too much in terms of time mm. when it's much more constructive and more fun i think to think about energy and i noticed that you and i were both using the word a lot so i thought yeah. it would be good to put a line under that as one response to your question what does it take to be successful energy yeah when i um realized that this book was actually going to be a book i also realized i can't be the only one who knows about it like that i i felt like i had a responsibility to it like it was my baby to to do right by it and to do well by it and what i'm getting to with that is i started taking pr and media and business development and marketing very high ticket high end because i had no idea once again i had no idea what i was doing none and I met a slice of the universe. So I was more accustomed to doctors and lawyers and professors than I was to entrepreneurs. So now I'm in this, these uh, multiple environments that are packed full of entrepreneurs. And the energy is electrifying, mm. like, like I've never seen before. All these other people I mentioned are just dragging around. These people are so on fire. And, you know, I have clients who have fantasies that they'll just quit their jobs and build their own business. And I think I'm very careful with them with that because I think the fantasy is that then they can make their own hours and they won't have to work as hard. <laughs> These people are on it all the time. There's like no yeah. end to it. They love it. And they're seeing return on investment and that really fuels the flame. But they're not sitting on the couch. It isn't yeah. like they can't wait for the day to end so they can sit on the couch. They can't sit on the couch. They have to do this and this and this. And this. So um, I don't know if it's just the ones that I've met, but I've met a lot. And I thought, where has this been? I had no idea. And I am so, I'm so blown away by all of them and what they're doing and the courage that it takes the energy that it takes, the courage that it takes, the mindset 
It's all about mindset. All of those programs are, they say their um, business is 80% mindset, but if we tell the truth, it's really 100 Hey, it's Adam Platt, and I just wanted to jump in here real quick and say, if you're ready to really unleash the greatness within yourself today, and you're ready to surround yourself with like-minded people who are going to help you grow and cheer you on towards your goals to higher success and achievement, then I've created a free community called Unleash Your Greatness with Adam Platt on Facebook. Come and join that community. It's free. You can come and join today, and uh, it's Again, it's called Unleash Your Greatness with Adam Platt, and people on that community are going to help. I'm in there. I'm going to be commenting and giving free resources on things that can help you grow and succeed in life. So come join today, and we will see you on the inside. Yeah. yeah. So I think it takes energy. Yeah. I would absolutely encourage. Yeah. Ooh. Encourage. Absolutely true. Well, that's like your airplane story. Yeah jumping out of the airplane that took energy and courage that's true yeah yeah and uh yeah such such great insight um thank you for sharing all that that was that was amazing because i agree i think you do need energy to create um action and results and just yeah the lifestyle that you want and uh I, I heard a, an interview with a very successful person not too long ago, and um, you know he talks about his journey along entrepreneurship, and you know how he he had setbacks, and um, you know all these things happened that were preventing him from building the business he wanted, and he's like, but you know what? I just kept at it, and I kept working it and working it, and he's like, and I don't know a single person who keeps getting up and doing what they know they need to be doing that doesn't eventually become successful. And I, I kind of sat back and like, that's so true. Like there's nothing that prevents you from being successful. than one, just having the courage, like you said, to putting forth the energy to create what you want, and just being willing to get up when you do have failure or setbacks or whatever you want to come. I like yeah. to refer to them as life lessons, right? Cause I don't think there is such a thing as failure as long as you keep getting up and, and moving forward. Um, and the only time you fail is when you stop, I think. So, um, yeah, such powerful insight. And uh, I just, you and I are kindred spirits. Like <laughs> we, we honestly, we, we, we could probably talk for five hours or longer about all this stuff. There's so many I'm amazing to, things. I'm trying to picture me jumping out of that plane. I'm thinking, well, if we did it. I suppose <laughs> I could do it. I don't know. <laughs> if I could do it, anybody could do it. That's all I'm going to say. Um, did your wife do it with you? She did. She So she had done it once before, and she wanted to do it again. And so for um, Christmas, not this last year, but the year before, I decided to give her a, a gift certificate with like the whole – you know, film guy who films it all and, and the whole package. And so, um, so snazzy. <laughs> so fun. is there a big like trampoline balloon kind of a something on the ground? No, <laughs> you, you just hope <laughs> well, that that parachute, you, your head? <laughs> <laughs> you just hope that parachute opens, but, um, it, it was quite an experience. My, How many, uh, what's the percentage of times that it hasn't? 
you know, it's actually really, really small. Uh, my So my wife, myself, and my oldest daughter all did it together. And my my oldest daughter was a little little freaked out about it. And so she we kind of looked up the statistics. And I think it's like like 0.001% of whatever parachutes don't open. Like, I mean, there's, you have a, you have a much, much, much higher chance of, um, dying in a car accident than you do jumping out of an airplane. Like it's such, such a small percentage of people. And, and most of the people who die from jumping on airplane are usually the high thrill seekers that they're usually doing crazy things when they jump out. Like, um, I don't know if you've ever seen like those Birdman suits, they'll jump out and then they, it's kind of like a, a flying squirrel suit like where they have this suit that opens up and they they kind of fly across the sky um and they try to like go in between like um you know like uh arches or bridges and things like that and they usually end up smashing into sides of mountains and stuff so those are kind of <laughs> yeah is this the type t personality probably <laughs> you know the first um so after I moved here, I think I started posting on a blog, mm-hmm. like you're supposed to post on a blog. So I, I actually have been doing it every week for a really long time. But I think the first one I wrote was about the type T personality and the amusement park. Oh, there's yeah. all kinds of, you know, my daughter said to me the other day, can we like have a conversation without the research i'm always spouting research so there's research on amusement parks and the thrill seeking and all of that too there's an expert out there (laughs) on that as well yeah that's interesting there's a study Um, and an expert for everything oh yeah yeah for sure um going back real quickly to the the skydiving though um Right before we went up in the plane, there was an, another group before us, and there was a guy that was going up, and he was, um, I want to say he was 85 years old, and he was going to go jump out of a plane for the first time. George Bush, how old was he? I think he jumped out like every five years or something, like the last couple of decades of his 90? life. Yeah, I think his yeah. last time he was like 95 or something. Yeah. Yeah, he was up there. Yeah. But yeah, this guy was, he, he, he's like, yeah, I've never jumped out of it. It's my birthday. I'm going to go decide to jump out of a plane. So here he was 85 jumping out of a plane. I'm like, that is, that's awesome. And I think I'm going to have to do that. <laughs> it is quite an experience. Um, it's fun. So my goodness, like you and I, we, we could just, we could talk about yeah. this for, for hours. Like I said, so High performing. Let's let's talk a little bit about that because I know that it is one of your passions and how people can become a high performer. I I don't think I think so many people think that it's a um, hereditary quality that people have, but I firmly believe that it's like anything. It can be learned. It can be um, accessed at any time. It can be uh, grown. Just like confidence. Just like you know, any skill we can grow, how to be more efficient, more high performing. Let's talk a little bit about that. What is your key things that you talk about when you talk about high performance and helping people get to where they become a higher performer? So 
numbers of things came to mind just now listening to about that. Um, I do think there probably is, I'm just guessing, a hereditary component, just like, for example, Sonia Lubomirsky wrote The How of Happiness, and she did a lot of research. And in her research, she found that 50% of it was genetic. You know, what she also found that I thought was like so important is that only 10% of whether you're happy or not or how happy you are is about that jerk out there. Or, you know, people, places, things outside of yourself. And then there was 40% was your intentional activity, what you put your mind to, which is what I think you're talking about. I don't know what the percentages would be, but you know, this energy that we're talking about, mm -hmm. probably, I'm, I wouldn't be surprised if there wasn't a genetic endowment of some sort of, um, that kind of uh, maybe risk-taking energy and some more than others by nature. Yeah. But then there's probably a similar effect where there's this whole other great big piece of the pie that you were just talking about. So the journalist who wrote the evolutionary psychology book that I cut my teeth on and then became a huge fan of all of those books because the authors are so smart and so funny about how weird we all are. And his name is Robert Wright and he wrote The Moral Animal years ago when I started uh, learning about this. And he has this concept of knobs and tunings. And this goes to, I think, what you were saying and asking. So the knobs are human capacities that we all have, let's say, for adventure and creativity and risk-taking and all yeah. that stuff. We all have the knob. And I think it it's probably a mistake to think that some people have that and some people don't. And probably more accurate, I'm guessing, to speculate that we all have the knob he would say we do. And then the tunings are what we get to mess around with. Yeah. And I think the work that you do with your clients and I do with my clients is on the tunings. Yeah. So. Yeah. Fascinating. Uh, that's, that's probably true. And, and I know exactly what, um, what research you're talking about with the happiness where it's 50% is hereditary I think 40% was your attitude and 10% was environment or something like that. And so basically 50% is stuff we have control over. And then 50% is what we kind of get from our parents or grandparents, those types of things. And you're probably, you're probably true. You're probably right when it comes to performance. It's a good yeah. 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 It's probably similar, but I would, I would argue that, um, you know, there's people who are born with hereditary abilities, say in basketball, right? Um, take Michael Jordan, for instance, he, he obviously had some genes that helped him become a great basketball player, but he also had to put in a lot of time and effort in becoming one of the greatest basketball players. Right. I mean, 
when he was in high school, he was cut from the high school team. Hours. What's that? What do they say? 10,000 hours? Yep, 10,000 is- hours is, is what some research says, yeah. And, uh, you know. Malcolm Gladwell? What's that? Was that Malcolm Gladwell or somebody else? Um, I'm trying to remember the book that there's a couple, well, anyway. of, yeah, a lot of people reference it, but uh, yeah, yeah. the original book was, you, you might be right. Yeah. It might've been. I'm not sure I am, yeah. but so go ahead. <laughs> um, so sorry, my, my dog is barking in the background. I apologize. Um, but, uh, yeah, like Michael Jordan, he, he obviously had some hereditary ability, um, but he had to put in a lot of effort to become the great basketball player that he was. And I feel it's that way with anything, right? We, we have certain abilities that we're born with. We have certain, um, disadvantages that we're all born with. But, um, at the end of the day, I think that if Michael Jordan would probably say he, he was not the most talented person, he just put in more time and effort than anybody. Um, Mm. and I, I guess I'm using a lot of sports analogies because those are people that, can kind of we can Einstein quantify. had a quote on that something about per, perspiration what? about persistence i i thought the quote had something to do with perspiration that it was more that meaning yeah. hard work yeah that's probably true but regardless i i really i think that what we're we're both saying is Yes, there's some ability that we can be born with. There's some, you know, some people excel when they have certain traits when it comes to organization or, um, you know, just drive, things like that. But at the end of the day, our our attitude, right? Again, going back to mindset is mm-hmm. 80% to 100% of our success is our our uh, our attitude, our mindset. Yeah. Um, and I think that has a lot to do with it and becoming a, a success or a high performer or a high achiever, whatever you want to call it. Um, a lot of it has to do with, are we willing to put in again, the energy, the effort and, yep. and just keep going, right. Have the courage to keep putting one foot in front of the other and going towards our goals. So, um, yeah, that's somebody. Um, I heard somebody say once, like, why did Beethoven, write the ninth and the answer was because he could and because he could he had to Mm, wow um yeah i don't know if that's hereditary or not but and i'm not beethoven but (laughs) i do know the feeling of doing something because you can and because you can you have to wow like you just like you're you're just driven to it because you can so how can you not it's it's an interesting feeling but i wanted to mention that to your question at Mm -hmm. some point i said to myself so you know because my background is so diverse in in what i bring to my work I don't, I don't know if I mentioned to you, I might have, that I've been studying um, Eastern philosophy, wow. Advaita Vedanta, pre-Hindu, believe yeah. it or not. Yeah, that's right. For, for over 20 years. So there's that in there and the 
business education and experience, you know, being whatever I was and doing whatever I did. And then the psychoanalytic psychotherapy. So it's this and this and this and this and this. <laughs> but but not only that, all of my clients are so different from each other. So I wondered not too long ago, um, what is it that's working here? Yeah. It's, you know, they were such a hodgepodge in terms of age, ethnicity, gender, occupation. And then I have this toolkit that's like overflowing with this and this and this. So what was it? And I came up with, and that's the five-step strategy. And um, that seemed to be a process that they all went through to get from meh to great. Wow. And I know you like the, I know we share that. We yeah. love that word. Great. Absolutely. So you can imagine my delight when I realized that the five steps broke down into the acronym G. Great. Oh, wow. So the G is, I've, I've been sort of keeping a little list here as we've been talking about some of the ingredients and the word believe is, is on the list and the g is the grounding in the belief that a great life is possible so when you talk Mm -hmm. about those people who just keep doing it and doing it and doing it they have to believe to some extent anyway that it's possible and when people come to me I honestly think that most of them, if not even all of them, I don't know, really just want some of the pain to stop. They don't necessarily really believe that a great life is possible and that they have everything they need to get there. So I, at the uh, beginning, am pretty much holding that space for them until the process takes hold for them. And they begin to take some action and see what happens where they can believe themselves that this is really possible. So, um, that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, That belief is so powerful. And and I love that you talked about it being the grounding factor in, in, in becoming great, it's, it's the first thing, right? We have to have that belief in ourself and our goals and our dreams and our, whatever it is that we're going after. And, uh, I love that. And even if you don't believe it, then you have to, um, sort of submit to the possibility. Wow. Yeah. Awesome. <laughs> I got yeah. chills when you were talking about it. That's, that's fantastic. That's a great way to put it. So yeah, very cool. So what are the other, what, a, and I, I'd love if, if you're willing, um, and I don't want to spoil everything for the book because obviously I want to get a copy of the book as well as I want other people to get a copy of the book, but what are the other acronyms for great? What do they stand for? If you could run us through those real quick, if you're willing. Sure. So, The first line of the book is the premise of the book. And I already told you I'm an evolutionary psychology freak. So the sentence is not going to surprise you. A great life depends on a great fit 
between who we are and the environments in which we work and live, mm. period. That's it. And that has always been since the beginning, the origin of our species, like Darwin. Yep. The world yep. belonged to those who were best adapted to the environment that they inhabited. And over time, sometimes we had to leave our environment and find a more suitable one when there were climate changes or whatever. Right. And it's, you know, the more things change, the more they stay the same. It's not really that <laughs> different. True. So, so the R is for, if great life depends on the fit between the environments and who we are, we have to know who we are, not who someone else said we should be necessarily, or not even necessarily who we always thought we should be, but our truer nature, our interests and our abilities and our hopes and our wishes and our dreams and our needs and our, whatever they really, really are. Wow. So the R is for recognizing those and with a better sense of that under our belts we can go gre for exploring mm. and exploring so my clients go exploring like say well i could do this or i could do that well do you know anybody who's doing that have you talked with them no i think i would like to and they research and try on different hats and such but as we said already that's dreamland in a way, unless it gets manifest. So there needs to be some action steps. Yep. Again, not so big that they shut us down, but big enough to excite the reward centers of the brain and keep us moving forward. And then um, G-R-E-A-T is for tackling the normal, natural, predictable, expectable, inherent resistance to change. Wow. Awesome. So that, that's a process that really, um, so there are 10 chapters in the book, and each chapter starts off with a uh, kind of quirky story about my life, <laughs> and then goes into, you know, I love science, so it's, um, it says on the cover based on science and stories. So then it goes into a whole lot of theory and science about whatever the topic is, which could be a chapter on time or a chapter on money or a mm. chapter on other people, yeah. things like that. And then at the end of each chapter, there's a case example of G-R-E-A-T, what issue the person uh, was focusing on most. And then how they went through that process to get from where they were to where they wanted to be. And then there's an exercise um, that's also pertinent to the chapter. Wow. One of my favorites is the one on money. Uh-huh. Because I really think this is true, what I'm going to say here. Years ago, I did the exercise on money, and I think it changed my life. I think I lived in sort of like financial fear and scarcity mindset. Yeah. And now I live in abundance and I don't think it was a dollar amount difference. I think I, 
Can I tell you what the exercise is a little bit? Absolutely. Please. <laughs> it's imagining that you're on a talk show with your money, like Jerry Springer or something. And you're talking with your money about your relationship with your money. And by the way, people, you can do this with food. You can do this with time. You can do this with anything that you might want to make a difference with. And so I talked to my money. So my money complained about being in a relationship with me. My money said, you just don't appreciate me. Mm. You don't enjoy me. I'm here for you. I want to please you. And you don't, you don't enjoy me. Wow. And it was so true because I, I was such a little sort of nervous ninny about it all. And I realized that, like, what's it there for, you know? And I'm like a completely different person about money right now. I feel like from head to toe, entirely different. Now, it sounds almost too pat that that could have made this difference, but I'm, I'm really not sure that it didn't. Um, so yeah. I recommend everybody try that. So that, yeah. Um, first of all, I love that. And secondly, I've, I've heard similar things. I've, I've been told oh, by, uh, I feel a little crazy when I, no, 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 no. I, <laughs> I, I totally align with it for sure. Um, I've had some, some coaches I've had in the past have said, write, write a letter to money, write a letter to George Washington oh. and Benjamin Franklin and, you know, the, the gentlemen that are on the different dollar bills and, and, and just say what you feel and then wait for the inspiration to come back of what they tell you kind of like similar to what you just said. And, uh, it, it's fascinating. And, and I think, you know, my experience with money, I, I think money is one of those things that a lot of people struggle to talk about or grasp. And there's, oh, a, for sure. there's a lot of, um, stereotypes around money, right? Stereotypes, taboos, whatever you want to call them. Um, religious people feel if you have money because of the Bible, you know, it's the root of all evil and, yep. and all those things. Um, and people really read the, that scripture. It's the love of money is the root of all evil. It's not money itself. Money is I not. Don't even, I don't even think it's the love of money that's the root of all evil. Yeah. I think it's what you do with it. Yeah. And that's exactly where I was going is money is not good or bad. It's an amplifier. Right. So, um, so there's this um, Buddhist psychoanalyst, Mark. Eh, maybe it'll come to me. <laughs> He's in new york and he wrote a book called desire hmm. and he really straightened this subject up wow. straightened up he said it's not that even from a buddhist perspective it's not that there's anything wrong with loving money or desiring this or that or this and that. it's how you are when you're disappointed uh. how you are when your desire does not come to fruition. Yeah. So he didn't, he didn't see anything wrong with wanting a lot of money. Yeah. But if your sun rose and set based on whether you got it or not, 
and it affected your appreciation for life and your generosity and your kindness to others and that sort of thing, then it's a problem. Wow. That is a beautiful way to put it. Yeah. That's awesome. I thought that was a really important message because I think that a lot of people mistake that, that Buddhism is against wanting and it's not right. It's, it's how you are when you don't get what you want. Yeah. That, that can be a problem. Well, that's a, that's a great point is everybody wants more of something. Even, you know, if you look at the Dalai Lama, he has desires, right? He wants to be more in tune. He wants to be more spiritual. He wants to be more um, patient or kind or whatever it is in his life that he wants more of. That's a desire. And that's, you know, maybe it's different than the rest of us who... He wanted maybe, more for his people too. Right. Yeah. And there's nothing wrong with that. That's right. We all have desires and it just depends on... And I love the way you put it is how it affects us when they don't come to the conclusion that we hoped it would become, or it doesn't happen right. in our time frame mm-hmm. or, you know, whatever it is. Um, yeah, that's, that's very powerful. And I'm going to reflect on that later tonight, actually. So thank you. I for have a that. thing that I think I made up actually called the misery gap. So the misery gap is the space between the way things are and the way we thought they should be. Oh, yeah. And the bigger that space is, the more room there is for us to make all the misery of our lives all mm. by ourselves. So the idea is if you close the gap between the way things are and the way things, uh, the way you thought they should be, right. there's, that, there's no room for creating all that misery. Yeah. Now, do think sometimes it's worth a shot if you think there's a person, place, or thing out there that um, really should be, you think, a different way. Sure. I think maybe it's worth a mention. Or maybe two, I like to say, like maybe you didn't say it right the first time, or the person maybe was distracted and didn't hear you. But after that, I think then it's on us to... um, revise our expectations to decrease that space within which the misery is made. So what do you think of that? Yeah, that's, that's a, that's a great perspective to keep. And uh, a lot of it just comes down to how we react to those situations, right? Yes. And how we respond. And that, that's the beautiful thing about life is the one thing that, nobody can take away from us is our freedom to choose how we respond. In any you sound situation. like Victor Frankl. <laughs> well, I love that book. Um, yeah, it's powerful. I mean, the guy endured some of the most horrific environments anyone could ever imagine. And uh, he, he truly did have this thought process of, I have the right to choose how I respond, how I act. Right. And nobody could take that. It is powerful. Nobody could take that humanity away from him. As much as the the Nazis in the concentration camp tried, they couldn't take that away from him. He had the the ability Mm -hmm. to choose. And I I truly believe that that's, that's our God given right to choose. 
and nobody's going to be able to take that away from us. And, uh, mm-hmm. and when those expectations don't meet what we hope they would, we can respond in such a way that is, um, a higher version of ourself, I think. Dignity. Dignity. That's good. Yeah. Perfect. I like that. So, um, oh, you know, what a fascinating conversation. And I think how you brought up money, we brought up relationships, we brought up motivation, inspiration, we brought up so many time amazing energy. things. Yeah. Energy, time. Um, and, and money is one of those things that I, I remember how oh, it's probably been about five or so years ago, my wife and I decided we wanted to do an activity with our kids. We have five daughters. What? And, uh, yeah. <laughs> You have five daughters? I do. Yep. (laughs) And you're surviving. Look at you. Well, you could tell from the hair I have left that it it does take its toll. But (laughs) no, but um, we decided and our youngest, our twins, they were two at the time, somewhere around two-ish, two years old. And uh, we decided to um, do a, a little experience. And we went to the bank. We had, we had just um, I think got our tax return or something like that. And we withdrew $5,000 out in various amounts of bills. So hundreds, fifties, twenties, tens, fives, and hundreds, or excuse me, ones. And we, we laid them all out. And so we, here we had, I mean, probably, you know, 10 hundreds and whatever. We laid all these bills out and then we brought our kids down and we're like, what do you guys think about all this? And they just like, they stared at it like, oh my gosh, what is going on? And we're like, what do you guys want to, you know, touch it? Do you guys want to play with it? Oh my God, and, this is wonderful. And, and, you know, my wife and I, we were, we we're working through this money mindset and, the, you know, having an abundance mindset and, and things. And, and we're like, oh, this is going to be great. We're, we're going to teach our kids about money and how to think about money differently and stuff. And our twins started picking them up and just like started throwing them. And, you know, hundred we're all of a sudden like I got triggered. And I'm like, oh my gosh, what if a hundred dollar bill like goes under the couch and gets lost or like, it was really fascinating. Oh, I'm sure. When that happened and the kids started playing and they started throwing up in the air and, you know, um, you know, and a two year old doesn't really understand money. They're always afraid they're going to grab a hundred and tear it or whatever. And, um, but I, I learned a lot about myself when it came to money, just from that experience. And how we as human beings are triggered yep. in certain ways when it comes to thinking, talking, viewing money. And uh, I'm really you know glad. The first that, line of the money chapter is. What is it? If I remember correctly, I want to talk about money. And then I went into a whole harangue about nobody wants to talk about money. That's true. People, people are kind of messed up about money. Yeah. And yeah. that is it. I'm glad you have that in your book because oh, it, yeah. it is one of those things that it's a trigger for a lot of people. You're going to love that chapter. I, I, yeah, I definitely need to read this book um, and, uh, and check it out. So fascinating. Um, you know, we are, God, time has just flown by. I can't believe I it. Um, such an amazing conversation. And I, you have probably so much more insight that you could share. I'm totally sure. And we could just have this back and forth conversation for all night. I'm sure if we, we let it, but I don't want to take your whole night because I know you're a busy person 
And uh, so I, I just, first of all, I want people who want to connect with you, learn more about your book, getting to great. Where can they find more out about you, about your book? Um, um, I would say the easiest, most direct route to all of my social media links and there's even a link for the so I carry on about the book at the top of my website. And then after I get done carrying on about the book, if people keep scrolling, there's a um, complimentary exercises box. Mm. So if anybody wants to, they can go in there. My favorite exercise, because I think it's the easiest, quickest, and most life-shaping is called power breathing. Oh, wow. So that's on the pull down and their focus and release is a really good one too, because people think they're multitasking, but they're not. The brain doesn't multitask. It yeah. just goes back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. <laughs> so it's really good to like complete one. Th- so anyway, this is a really good exercise. So there's some good exercises on there that are free of charge. And then also that would um, put anyone on the list and I post once a week on everyday things and the science behind them and then I dish on them a little bit throw my own two cents in maybe a little story here and there awesome very cool and that that website is Madeline um remind me how to say the last name okay so it's like mad Elaine, M-A-D-E-L-A-I-N-E, okay. W-E-I-S-S, like Sam Sam. Yep. So it's MadelineWeiss.com. And the book is on Amazon and awesome. Barnes & Noble and Books A Million. Very cool. Yep. So for those listening, um, that website will be in the description of this episode. So you can go and connect with Madeline and... Uh, I would love to hear from any and all. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. I know I'm going to get a copy of the book. It sounds super amazing um, and super fascinating. And I, I love that stuff. I, I geek out on that type of stuff, as you can tell. So I want to hear what you think. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, so thank you so much for being on the show. I want to end with this last question. And uh, this is how I like to usually wrap up the show. And that is... Um, if there was one, two, maybe three things you would say someone needs to do to unleash the greatness within themselves, what would those be? Well, I don't know about three, although you and I have a list of more than that. (laughs) We have a lot. We we talked about courage and energy and believing. Um, we talked about going through the five-step process. Um, but I have one thing. Great. That I don't think we did touch on, and I do want to do that. Um, and it's the concept of good company. Uh, like like this is really good company. But good company isn't just about people, although it is about that. But good company is, and this is one of those Eastern philosophy tenets, is the food we eat the wine we drink, the books we read, the music 
we listen to, mm. the thoughts in our head. Real good idea to make sure the thoughts in our head are good company because they're not always a lot of negative self-talk yep. goes on. Yep. And then, of course, you're talking about the freedom to choose where you can choosing the people who you welcome into your life. And so for all things, all those things I mentioned and other things that you can all think of, the uh, finest quality we can find and afford. And if you think about building a life with the finest quality of everything, um, I don't know how to finish that sentence. I just can't think of a better way to live. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Beautiful. Yeah. So, so amazing. And, uh, yeah, just what, a, what an amazing conversation this has been. Um, I want to thank you. I had a great time. I had a great time. I had a fantastic time. Great um, time. <laughs> that's right. We both like that word. Yep. Exactly. It is a good word. Um, it's a wonderful word. It's a great word. <laughs> so, um, thank you so much for coming on and, and spending this hour plus time with me and just having a, an amazing conversation, a great conversation. Um, well, thank you I really do appreciate it. And, uh, you are doing an amazing work going out and, and talking about how people can live their greatest life. And, uh, and we, why not? Absolutely. Yeah, I agree. So um, thank you so much for being on the show and for sharing your amazing insights. Uh, I really do appreciate it. So, Well, thank you for having me. And those who are listening, go out there, unleash your greatness today, live your life to the fullest, and we will see you in future episodes. Thanks. Hey everybody, thanks for joining me today, and I really appreciate you being here. And do me a favor, if you liked this episode, please be sure to subscribe on your favorite uh, platform that you listen to podcasts on. And also leave me a message or a comment or a review. I just really appreciate it. Also, why I've got you here, if you are ready to take your life to the next level, I have a, an amazing program right now that's called Achievement Monthly. And this is a monthly program where you can come and learn every month from me Adam Platt, Achievement Coach, and we're going to go, I'm going to go live every month, come on and help you get to that next level in life, that next level of success, that next level of achievement, because, you know, up till now, you've, you've done so well, and you've done all you can, but sometimes you just need a little bit more help, a little bit more umph to get you to that next level, and that's what this program is really meant to be, and so it's uh, designed to help you, one, learn what you need to do to get to that next level. And two, it's also meant so that you can uh, network with other people. So we're going to train for about an hour, hour and 15 minutes. And then we're going to break out in the group so that you can network with other people, get to know them and connect with them so that they can help support you in your goals, your dreams and create the life that you want. So if you are interested in joining that program for only $39 a month, you can go and register at arise to connect.com slash achievement. 
And I am so excited to see you there and to help you get to that next level in life because, man, that's where everything starts to go right and happen for you. So go again, register right now at arisetoconnect.com slash achievement. And I look forward to seeing you on the inside of that program and every month so that we can get you working towards that goal and that dream life that you want. Thanks and have an amazing day. Go out and make your life what you want it to be.